Life is hectic, demanding, and doesn't stop. When honest with ourselves, we must confess we often don't know what the hell we're doing. The LARCast is an ongoing conversation about the inclusive and mischievous nature of God's presence through the lens of all the things that make up this phenomenon we refer to as life. Astonishing grace and refreshing honesty collide right here for your weekly encouragement. Cast, the podcast where we are connecting God's liberating grace with everyday life. Uh, if you're new to this podcast, my name is Tony, and I get to do this thing with my good buddy Russ. What's up, Russ? How you doing, man? Cheers. Cheers, man. How are you? Well, I was doing pretty good, um, <laughs> but uh, I just spent the last 35 minutes moving furniture to elevate uh internet what do you call that thing modem yep and, and uh learning how to force quit everything on my computer that's a first uh, my wife who was trying to do some work from the back of the house had to close out of everything on the internet so that this call would be possible um and i don't have cheap internet service mm. oh did i mention that i also had to move and i'm sitting like five feet from the modem yeah. So yeah, have a felt like I was in a really cheerful mood until we started this podcast about the religion of technology. No lie. <laughs> Spoiler the alert. That, the irony in that is so thick you could cut it with a knife. But uh, spoiler this, alert. This is this is my my reality this morning. So yeah, we had a good chuckle before we started recording about uh, you having internet issues and us getting into the topic of technology today but um mm. i know i know it's hard you know just struggling and um having a frustrating on-ramp into something and then you know hitting record then having to collect yourself and present yourself in a in a certain way um i don't know so how even though o'reilly did it man <laughs> yeah, right. exactly seen that video where he's like berating his staff and then they hit click and he's like hey there americans how are you doing today <laughs> yeah that's a pretty that's a pretty epic like, wow clip. if you don't know what we're talking about just google or search on youtube bill o'reilly meltdown it's pretty uh it's pretty amazing but as frustrating as a morning as you're having you're probably doing a lot better than that priest from phoenix who found out that all his baptisms in his uh career as a priest didn't count because he used the wrong personal pronoun in oh. in, in announcing <laughs> baptisms. <laughs> oh why don't why don't why don't we let by by way of just introducing this idea of religion and the fact that we are religious um, and yeah. we put so much emphasis on the things we do or don't do, say or don't say. Uh, why don't we introduce that with uh, this this funny article that you you sent uh, our team this morning? Yeah, man. I take my little dude to preschool in the mornings, and for whatever reason, when I pull back in the driveway, you kind of have this like still moment, right? You're in the car, there's no noise around, and he, I don't know for whatever reason, I take like five minutes and scroll the news, and this article popped up, you know, alluding to what you just shared, man. A, a priest like 
you're talking like a mass number of baptisms in the Catholic church that were all declared invalid by the Catholic church because when he baptized people and dude, I had to read it a couple of times. Cause I was like, I'm missing something. Cause I feel like they're re- like, this has to be a misprint in the article. Like, cause they're just, they're saying that he said this, but he should have said this, but it says the same thing. I baptize you in the name of the father and of the son and of the Holy spirit. Like, and then all of a sudden, like the third time of looking at it, I noticed, Oh, they're saying that none of these were valid because he said, we baptize you in the name of the father and of the son and of the Holy spirit. Instead of saying I. Yep. Instead of saying I. Yeah, man, there's something about, uh, something about that belief that uh, <laughs> just really, really just sends everything tumbling down. <laughs> so it's I just, like, anyways, it's not, yeah. I'm not trying to pick on the guy or even like Catholicism. I mean, you could, but instead, it's just, I just found myself laughing going, <laughs> all That's these fine. people are up and, yeah. up in arms you today you don't have to but i will it's like yeah jesus is like yeah i know like i became flesh and lived died rose again reconciled all things um yep. but uh you use the wrong personal pronoun when you baptize all those people uh so none of it counts yep yep no whole uh Old Pedro thought he was escaping that Phoenix heat when he left this world only to find himself in some really bad shape because some dude used the wrong personal pronoun when he got baptized. Oh, man. Dude, and I love the justification of it because their official position was, well, it's not we, the community doesn't baptize people. It's Christ that baptizes us. And by saying I, you're connecting it to Jesus himself. And I'm like, so if a man says I, all of a sudden, like you're standing in the place of Jesus as if Jesus is b- baptizing these people. Oh yeah. 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 And it's funny because even you start to press into that and you're like, hold, hold on a second. Um, the scriptures are really plain about Jesus himself declaring, you know, that, <laughs> that I will dwell in you the same way that I dwell on the father. And the father dwells in me. I will dwell in you and you will dwell in me in reference to everyone. Something that he has brought about through his death and resurrection. So to say, well, no, no, no. It's Jesus who baptized, but it's only through this guy. Cause this guy, right? Like he's, he stands in the place of Jesus. Nobody else does. I'm like, well, that doesn't make any sense either. According to what Jesus himself declared. So the, we actually works, whether it's that dude or somebody sitting there or the guy who's driving by in a garbage truck who pulls over and says, I'll do it. I'll baptize him. It's all of us who have been made one with God through the death and resurrection of Jesus. So, you know, it's just like, you're looking at this thing and going, man, religion, dude, religion is just, man, religion is a bitch, bro. Yes. I mean, it just, it'll just, just suck the life and joy right out of you, man. Every chance it gets. Well, I, I shared that with Pam and my wife and she was like yeah can you imagine like every other person who reads that who was baptized in the catholic church is immediately thinking back like dude did my priest <laughs> use the right personal <laughs> pronoun when he baptized my kids <laughs> can you imagine that? so i have lots of questions about this one is like how do you send out a communication about this like to these people 
Like, is oh, yeah, it dude. an email? Is it a video? Does it come from the Vatican? Does the, you know, this particular Catholic church in Phoenix? Is it, do you send out a letter? Do you have like a town hall meeting? Like how, you know, do you have to go through back all the records? Like all of a sudden, like the part-time clerk working at this uh, Catholic church is like, <laughs> all of a sudden has the most work put, put on her plate. She just became like a Google exec. <laughs> She's just like her, her calendar is uh, is jam packed now, and you wonder like what do they say? Do they tell everybody like, look, I mean this is life or death here. So according to you know our beliefs, so don't chance it. All right, just stay put. Don't even leave your house. All right, stay just stay put. We'll come to you. We'll come to you. We we don't can't take the chance of anything happening to you between where you're sitting and getting to the building on Friday when. We're just going to usher everybody through like a cow trough line. Yeah. Just, get the, just get the hose out, man. Dude, if uh, super soakers uh, counted right at the beginning of COVID and six feet of distancing, I'm sure we could figure out a creative way to, you know, yeah. maybe take them to the, like the local water park. Just have the priest just kind of bless all the water at the water park. Just send them down the lazy river. I don't yeah. know the wave, the wave pool. Another option could be just recognize what Jesus said about baptism, just being something that you do to tell everyone, yes, I, I believe, I trust him. And just let it be that instead of turning it into an actual form of salvation that requires specific phrasing or what Jesus did on the cross doesn't count. Yeah, that's another option. That I like that. But. I like that option. But 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 blessing the wave pool, that that sounds more fun. That one would be more fun. I would agree. Yeah, yours is more true. Mine's more fun. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of funny that we're talking about this because when you it's easy to spot religion in a very blatant religious context. Um, it's much harder to spot religion in a context that prides itself on being irreligious yet we're constantly expressing our religion in a variety of everyday ways, which is kind of the premise of this conversation that we're getting into here today. We can laugh about, we can laugh about this, right. And it's blatant and you can just see it. What's not so detectable is how we are trying to save ourselves through a variety of everyday irreligious means. Yep. That in so doing, they become uh, religions that we are right. now enslaved to in hopes to justify ourselves, improve our worth, and find our enoughness in. Yeah. By the way, um, that was bar none, bro, the smoothest transition that that you've ever done dude i mean that was like hashtag pastoral moment hold up the cup like you 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 dude you you won was that hashtag my pastoral winning. moment it's like i think it's backwards in the video yeah that's so for yeah just for so for the sake of this conversation maybe we can just have a very ground level you know moment to discuss like when we say the world is religious when we say that we are religious or that there's a religious impulse in every human being, yeah. how are we defining that and how is it expressing itself? And really that's what these next string of podcasts we're doing. We're going to, we're going to focus in on 
all these platforms and means and ways that we're saving ourselves. But I think just for as an introduction, it would be helpful if we just kind of define some terms. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, probably the best way to define some of those terms is through, you know, what I call a, a framework in a sense. It's a framework that provides um, a look at the bigger picture, I guess you could call it. And I think this is where all of humanity finds solidarity with one another, whether we believe it or not, like it or not, agree with it or not, choose it or not, it seems to be true because it's timeless and it's, it's, it's universal. Number one, and I would say big picture, start in the garden. You know, we, we, all, we all believe that we are not good enough and we need to find a way to become good enough. In a sense, you could say we bought the lie, okay? We bought the lie that we're not enough. In the scriptures, we see that like in the book of Genesis. And so believing this lie, we inevitably start to fear the loss of acceptance because we fear that it's true, okay? So we, feel, we fear this loss of acceptance. We, we fear that we're going to miss out. That leads to what I call number three. We, all of us, inevitably then seek control of our lives and of the world around us, okay? And again, we see that in the garden. That's, that's Adam and Eve choosing the tree of, of knowledge of good and evil. It was this pursuit to this desire to have the knowledge that, that would allow them to control their lives and the world around them. And I know sometimes in like Christian circles, you'll see people point to Adam and Eve and go, man, that's just, you know, that sucks. I hate that. That's true for all of us. You know, why, why did what they do, you know what I mean? Create a curse for the rest of you know humanity. And I'm like, well, name me one person who ever lived that has not sought control of their lives in the world around them. Right. Yeah. It's just true of all of us. <coughs> so anyhow, all that leads to, I think this place where we start to feel the pain that comes from our inability to control anything. Because when you get down to it, we don't have control. It's a myth. And so we naturally feel the pain that comes from this. So again, we bought the lie. We fear the loss of acceptance. We seek control. Okay. We feel the pain from the loss of control. Everyone throughout history is right there. I think where things differ is our solution to the pain. How do we numb the pain? All right. And it seems like there's only really two options. One is to live a life of utter dependence upon the God who never said that your humanity was a problem to overcome or that you needed to become something on your own so that he could love you. All right. We see that in the person of Jesus. So that's one route, which we've talked a lot on this podcast. And then there's another route. And that other route is pretty common among all of us, myself included, in which case we pop the pills, basically, of religion, dude. The, the, the narcotic, man, the pain pills of religion. We turn to those to numb the pain. Yeah. Now, for centuries, the idea of religion was sort of aligned to a deity, okay? There was someone who was thought of as God. It was not us. And religion became this series of... of um, of practices. Okay. You could say there was a list of doctrines, things to believe. And then there was also a list of things to do mm. in some of like your religious circles, or I should say, uh, your, uh, scripture based circles, you'll hear it in terms of like creed cult and 
conduct, you know what I mean? Is one of the phrases you might hear, but what we've found is like, yeah, maybe for centuries, that's been a thing that's been aligned to the conversation of God. But today, according to everything that we can find statistically, the world's more religious than it's ever been. Religion hasn't waned, it's just increased. And so what we've done is in turning away from who, who, what Jesus has done and declared, okay, a lot of people have turned to some form of Christian based or whatever, you know, Buddhism, Hinduism, you know, form of religion. And then where that lets down, we then turn to a myriad of other things. Hmm. In which case you could say the religion of technology, the religion of busyness, the religion of work, the religion of parenting, romance, fitness, leisure, travel, mm-hmm. politics, man, major one right now. And even the church, just to be clear, these all have taken on some form of a religious structure that we have began to align ourselves with in hopes to find our enoughness. Yeah. And sadly, they promise a lot, but in the end, um, they're just crushing, man. Yeah. So I think what you're saying is like the same reasons that can bring someone to the cross of Jesus to find comfort and relief in the words of Jesus. It is finished. You're forgiven. God loves you. You're welcome. You belong. The same reason why someone would come to the cross is really the same reason that an everyday person would just go do a cooking channel on YouTube Yeah, because they want to hear, right? some affirming words. They want Mm -hmm. to present themselves as someone who cooks well, has their game tight, can host well, their house is together. Um, And just the, the, the affirmation that comes from that, the salvation from a social level that comes from that. I was at my local coffee shop recently, and I noticed one of the baristas um, she posted a picture of her like laying on the ground after she cleaned all day. And she was like exhausted. She was like, house is clean. And I walked in there and I, I saw her story on Instagram. And I said, Hey, did you finally get like your house clean or whatever? It looked like you were like really breaking a sweat. She goes, yeah, you know, the in-laws, you know, came over and, you know, I just had to like really, really clean. And I go, Oh, cool. She goes, but my mother-in-law made a comment of how clean my floors were. And I was Mm. like, yep. And that's the only thing that matters. Right. And she goes, yep. And you can just kind of see even in that, just the, and then I'm not saying that in a judgmental way. Um, No, no, we've all been there. Yeah. I think just the, the affirmation, the words of approval from a mother-in-law in a, in a very real way, you can hear those words in the same way as you hear the words spoken over Jesus, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well-pleased. This is my beloved daughter-in-law with whom I'm well-pleased with whose floors I'm well-pleased. Yeah. Clean or not. (laughs) So you can kind of see it. it, What we're, we're tapping into is something deeply like it's deeply inherent in all of us. And a lot of the things we're going to talk about don't even really have kind of like, like, moral value in and of themselves, like our conversation today, technology, it's not, it's neither good nor bad. It's really kind of like how our heart attaches itself to these things. It's the way in which we use these things. Food is good. It can also be bad. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Um, Kids, kids are great. Um, But as salvation mechanisms or ways to justify yourself, it's, 
that's that's not how we use other people. That's going to end up in a lot of no. That's going to end up in a lot of therapy, not only for your kids, but for um, you, but for you as well. Yeah. So I think we're talking about something very deeply impulsive and inherent about human nature. Yeah, I would I would fully agree. It's you know, as you know the the, the young lady that you mentioned, you know, cleaning her house. Cheers to that, right? There's you know, I love a clean house. Cooking channels, dude. I mean, I binge on cooking, right? Cooking channels, yeah. man. Netflix. We have a, know, a Chef's friend. Table, that's my favorite series ever made. Yeah, we have a friend to Lark, who's a you know a chef and a chef online. Yeah. So all these things, good and beautiful, it seems like in and of themselves. Parenting, romance, travel, right? Even politics can be a good thing. The church, seen through the lens of the cross, is a good and beautiful thing. It's when we begin to turn them into mechanisms to make us a good thing that they inevitably become a bad thing. You know, as Tim Keller once said, we take things that are good, we take good things and we turn them into God things in hopes to achieve something. And what we don't realize is that we ultimately are just using those things for our own personal end. And because they're, they're, not, uh, they're not able to offer forgiveness, they're not able to absolve, okay, broken people. Hmm. They're not able to deliver the longing that we that, that the creator put in us. Right. And they just, we, we inevitably find ourselves chasing a bar that keeps moving. Hmm. And then we sort of drown under the weight of our failed performance within them. Or we can become people who feel like we've arrived and we spend our days looking down our nose on others. Hmm. And, uh, and calling it good yeah right and so i think that's that's it man that's what we're doing we're we're taking a we're just taking a cool look at man like do what happens when we pop the pills of religion versus trust in what jesus has done and live in dependence upon him and him alone yeah and we just to be clear you know as you know dude and i know we daily right struggle with these things yeah, if you're new to this podcast, we we confess regularly that we are self-justification <laughs> addicts. Um, right. How did you describe R Lark recently uh, to a crew of people? It's a halfway house for religious addicts. Yeah. If you're like, dude, yes, I have bent over backwards and almost killed myself to get my house ready just to hear my mother-in-law compliment my food and my clean house. Dude, we are with you. This is a yes. place for you. This is the podcast for you. Because I think yeah. in a sense, what you're admitting is the exhaustion that comes from proving yourself, earning, um, trying to justify and save yourself. Um, and we're just a bunch of just knuckleheads here, man. Religious knuckleheads who are finding relief in the cross of Jesus. So welcome to the Larkast. With that in mind, um, the second podcast, um, in this series, first one was finding freedom from yourself. This one is finding freedom in tech technology mm -hmm. is the topic today. What about technology and what about ourselves as it relates to technology brings out this inherent religion and religiosity in us? Um, well, first I would say it it changes how we see humanity. Okay. The, at the root of technology from both the, the, the creators to the consumers is this desire of optimizing everything we can in life, mm. including ourselves. 
I think that's that's one way to definitely illustrate where things get a little get a little scary. Um, so think about it like this. I'll just share it in two quick forms. All right. On one hand, okay, you've got something that's kind of simple, something that I feel like everybody can grab onto. When you look at the role of technology in culture and and where it's led and what's going on, you'll find a current language, okay, at large throughout society that is subconsciously moved into seeing humans like glorified androids that need to be perfected, okay? This is even true in the church. Um, in David Zoll's words, because I think he described it well, he says, today we talk casually about how we are wired and like the brain, and we liken the brain to a computer, our bodies to hardware and our personalities to software. But as useful as these metaphors may sometimes be, the brain isn't a computer. <laughs> nor do our limbs contain any metal. The spirit, to say nothing, right, of the soul is not actually code. Dude, when I read that, I was like, guilty. How many times, right, have I, have I used the phrase wired? Well, it's just how I'm wired, man. Well, that's okay. That's just how you're wired. Sure. Right? You just kind of, you, you just need some, re some reprogramming on some of the things that you're struggling with. And I'm just like, we, like, this isn't, you didn't used to talk this way. Yeah. And in the, uh, in the church growth movement, you'll talk about a church's OS or operating system. Yes. And, um, you know, we go to these, we've gone and participated in these conferences, which has probably led to, um, a lot of my disillusionment, um, with the church is going to these conferences. Um, but they'll, they'll talk about churches like this. They have an OS. You need to upload a new OS. You need a new operating system. Need a new operating system. To your point, I was watching the Bulls game uh, last night. Um, they beat San Antonio. Bulls are actually decent this year, which is <laughs> exciting for me. <laughs> it's been, been a lot, a lot of bad basketball in Chicago. I, I can hear this. It's like a little moment for you. <laughs> no, <laughs> you talk out yeah, loud about um, this. For sure, dude. You With mean, joy. Yeah. But we speak about religion. I mean, Chicago sports, I mean, guilty, guilty as charged. Um, but there was a commercial for a hospital and it referred mm. to. And I knew we were podcasting today. It referred to the human body as the most complex machine on the planet. There you go. They literally use those words, the word machine. Back to what you were saying earlier, man, just within the church world, right? The assimilation process, right? Not only do you need an OS, right? You've got to have a really, you know, strategic assimilation process. Like, like, like you were cranking out widgets or something like people right. are literally androids that need to be perfected and so they need this knowledge they need this understanding and they need this application to become fill in the blank mm -hmm. and it's 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 popular within every within every facet of society as you just mentioned all the way down to the very hospitals that are taking care of the human body mm -hmm. that probably understand it right better than anyone else and at right. the same time, somehow wired and machines and, you know, operating system and software has made its way into this. And just to be, you know, not to sound like an old funny dud, man, but this is opposite to the language <laughs> that the creator has bestowed upon his creation. <laughs> None of this is true, according to the one who actually made humanity. And in my like personal opinion, I feel like the one who created humanity sort of gets a say in what it is and what it's not more than the created does. 
you know, just me. Like normally, right? The the inventor of something sort of has a say over the invention. Yeah. And I just feel like that's that's one subtle thing that you could that you could point to in regards to your question. But also I'll say this, probably the most extreme expression of this belief is a movement that's called transhumanism. Okay. Which is something I had to look up. Julian Huxley, which is big words. She's a, another big word here. She's a British eugenicist. All right. She defines transhumanism as humanity attempting to overcome its limitations and to arrive at a fuller fruition. So I was like, Whoa, okay. And, uh, I know that you had found a piece, man, in CNN that you sent my way, an article that they put out uh, just a few months back that was sort of unpacking this movement, sort of pointing to some things that are going on there and showing that the belief that our natural humanity inhibits our experience of the world. That's at the core of what they believe. Our natural humanity inhibits our experience of the world. And so, dude, they're doing everything from implanting microchips in people, adding prosthetic limbs, um, you know, just designing entirely new senses for people like this is an actual thing right now well dude Um, they're trying to figure out how to like upload grandma's consciousness to like a like a box in the corner of the living room that looks similar to your modem that lights up when it talks so like our great 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 grandchildren can interact with their grandma you know what i'm saying so yeah it's getting it's getting pretty pretty wild out there but again like yeah. when when you look at like how they so the tech itself is pretty crazy we've all seen those movies of ai mm-hmm. gone bad um but that like underlying belief about you know what i'm saying trying to overcome our limitations it's just very blatant yeah it just i mean all the way down to the core of how they see it there's a guy named david Vin, i think his name is a uh Ventenor, if i'm saying that correctly he spent the last few years photographing this movement and his, his line on how, like how he sees it to me sort of said it all. He said, beauty is in the engineered products. And I was like, Whoa, dude. Yeah. Humanity okay. itself has limitations. It's ugly. Yep. It needs to be overcome. In other words, we need to be rescued. We need to be helped and in comes science and biotechnology and you know all nanotechnology and all this stuff to come and rescue humanity and so it's like again like these are great things um i watched my dad i brought him into the er on christmas eve and he spent 11 days in the hospital with covid pneumonia and he's doing great now there was a lot of help with modern medicine and and technology Mm -hmm. specifically just you know keeping um keeping a read on his oxygen levels and even to this day, like they, they have a little like thing you put on his finger to keep, you know, um, to, to keep an eye on his oxygen level. So he knows whether to, you know, like slow down, get back to his assisted oxygen or, you know, whatever as he's, you know, as his lungs are, are healing. That's great. I love that. That's very much different than someone walking around with a Fitbit thinking that they are going to achieve this sort of mm-hmm. lifestyle and body so that at the end of the day, they can lay their head down on their pillow and say, I'm good. I'm good enough. Yeah. I've got my steps in my heart rate is where it's at. I'm going to prolong my life, right? You can see how you can use technology to rescue yourself. 
Yeah, I think that's the difference between you pointing to the value of technology used as a tool to help your father versus someone who is looking to technology as the means of achieving the ideal self, as in their very salvation, finding yeah. their enoughness in it. Um, or as in the transhumanism movement, right? That technology is the savior itself. But and something you had just mentioned, and I feel like plays right along with this, it's how we even start to see information. How we see information has changed. You know, the data is everywhere, man. Like, they're, like they have a collection of information right now, unlike no other time ever in the history of the world. And so I think one of the things that we could look at is like, oh, cool, man, there's a lot of information out there where I could learn about some different things and be able to put some things to use, right? Amen. But instead, no, dude, we start to look at information provided through technology as a way to measure mm -hmm. our actual enoughness, like yeah. a Fitbit becomes yeah. not just a tool, but actually now a means of salvation or dude, email for crying out loud. I know people who find their sense of peace and worth and joy, man, with a clean inbox. Right. And being able to show you, I've had people do this literally on their phones. Yeah, dude. Well, here's the thing. <laughs> Zero in the inbox. Yeah. Down to two <laughs> messages too. And then I'm they like, look at mine <laughs> showing. Well, I have 167. <laughs> 167 text messages, 100 voicemails, and 1,192 emails unread. <laughs> and those people who are finding like their enoughness in, you know, yeah. a zero inbox, they start like twitching. They start like, they literally like convulse and just fall on the ground. Like they can't even handle that we would have so many unread texts and emails. Yeah. Or even think about how we could use information to prove, you know, to prove ourselves, man right? To justify our existence, like on a team, you know, something that you and I've talked about where this thing that's in us wants to be able to, to take the information that's here and be able to respond to this email from a boss, you know, with the best idea to present or, you know, right. or the most pertinent information to present, you could say. Yeah. But what we don't realize is in this information age, you might respond to that, to that boss, by the way, in a group email because you want everyone else to see that you responded first and you want to, you want everyone to see, right. What you collected. Well, it's interesting, like bringing up knowledge. We talk about that a lot, like, especially with Adam and Eve, right. Having the tree of life in the garden, but their eyes are just locked in on, you know, the tree of knowledge. Mm -hmm. And um, I liked Zal's line in his book. He says, we've always valued the pursuit of knowledge. Technology just accentuates that pursuit. It like just mm -hmm. throws gasoline on just that thirst. And it's funny because I watch it play out and I do this too, but I watch it play out just in very casual social settings. Like if you're trying to, you know, if you're meeting new people or you're at a party, you're just really trying to like establish yourself or belong, right? Like, let's say I'm going with my wife to her work Christmas party and I'm meeting all these people. I've heard their names and I do drinks and, you know, I want to meet Pam's boss and her coworkers and make a good impression and all those kinds of things. Well, one of the ways you do that is by proving that you belong in whatever the topic of a conversation is. I watch it happen among dudes, right? Who just get together. I, have, I throw lots of parties at the house, invite a lot of different people. People are connecting and everyone's just trying to like kind of establish themselves with what they know about craft beer, whiskey, food, music, sports, motorcycles, you know, everyone's got like, you, you are welcome and you belong um, as it relates to how much you know 
about a particular thing. So people mm. really try to establish themselves with information. And then I think on a grander scale, socially, I think if Donald Trump's presidency then and COVID and then beyond has proven anything, it's that quote unquote information itself. It, it's not purely an objective thing. Like similar to science, information is easily co-opted by the agenda of those who wield it. And even further, yes. like it is, it has not made us better people. You would think, right? If we, well, if we just have more information, more information, right? Knowledge is the key. Information is the key. It was the belief that if we knew more, it would make us better. If anything, it, it accentuates our religious impulses. We can weaponize information. We can use it to win puff ourselves up and let's mm -hmm. not forget that in winning whether it be on facebook or in a conversation a text message whatever that requires other people to be defeated to put others in yeah. their place cancel people etc cancel culture all that kind of stuff and so you're just seeing in this information age how we are puffing ourselves up we're fancying ourselves as people who know and we're looking down our nose at everybody else but we mm -hmm. thought knowledge was going to be the thing that freed us yeah, the, the very thing that we're that we're seeking control with is now controlling us. Yeah. The thing that we thought would free us is enslaved us. Yeah. And so in this pursuit of a better life, we're actually missing a life altogether. Hmm. And it's it's crazy and it's sad because I think what I'm learning and and you're learning, and you know, we've talked a lot about this, but as the righteousness, quote unquote, right? my enoughness, my worth, my righteousness, my being right, my being good, as that continues to escalate with what we know and how we use information, knowledge, um, so does the burnout because it's unending. Yeah. So it's a, it's a lousy, you know what? I'm just going to say it. It's not a lousy savior. It's a shitty savior, man. Yeah. Put in a supercomputer in your hands. We thought yeah. was going to, you know, make us, um, you know, more efficient, um, free us and make our lives easier, but it's definitely introduced an unsustainable pace of life. Um, accessibility with no boundaries. Yeah. Um, I feel like with the work and the information thing, I think people definitely feel the weight of technology and the religion of it there. But I think more, more than anything else, they probably feel it when it comes to social media. And the first thing yeah, that's a whole I'll, new can of worms. Yeah. The first thing I'll say is that I think this isn't like two old dudes, right? Like religious dudes jumping on being like, man, the world's going to hell in a handbasket, like yeah. throw your phone in the lake and you know what I'm saying? Like go yeah, buy a hundred acres in Wyoming and just get off the grid and any of that, like, you're totally free to do that. We know people who like would love to do that. Um, that yeah. even sounds appealing to me. I would get definitely get bored with not having neighbors or people to interact with like after a week. Um, but, um, a week, bro, you'd be, <laughs> but a, a day. you'd be scratching your head after a day. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. The religion of people, the religion of party that probably should be one, uh, for me, but here's the thing I'll say about, about social media. We're not here to, we're not here to you know, that the classic, you know, I, I think what you've heard from just scratch all that. Here's the first thing I'll say is that a good portion of my livelihood 
uh, is connected to digital spaces. Um, yep. Like think about with Lark, like we travel and spend a decent amount of time with people face to face, but if you're connecting with us, it's through podcasts, it's through email, it's through social media, it's through website, text message. And we have created and really helped foster a, a national and global community um, through Lark and amen for it. I love that. I used to be very suspicious about online community until I developed very close friends, um, you know, on online. And so my mind has definitely, you know, changed um, with that. And so it definitely is a good thing, but a lot of people don't know this, uh, but Lark is a part-time endeavor for me. I also own a creative agency that does branding websites, social media management, et cetera. So I provide for my family and others family through technology. So I'm just going to say that right out of the gate is that yeah. I'm not here to bemoan these things. They are wonderful tools and people make a, a living um, closely tied, you know, to these things. But I remember the very first time I saw the illustration of someone snorting Instagram likes like cocaine. I remember seeing that image. I remember seeing the image of a syringe in someone's arm with a Facebook logo in, you know, the substance that was in the syringe. Yep. And I remember seeing those images for the first time. And I was like, yeah, like way before the social dilemma, Netflix documentary, way before a lot of the data was coming out about how they were exploiting like just human behavior, dopamine, all the visual stuff, which we can get into all that stuff. And it's spooky, scary. But I remember seeing that illustration before a lot of that data came out. And I was like, yeah, dude, that's, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. Um, a lot of good and beautiful things have come from social media, connection, friendship, right? The spread of good news, good information. Um, support for families. I mean, right. Showcasing art, telling stories. I'm just saying like the, the perks, man, are, are, there's a lot, but with that, I think again, on this podcast, we're talking about where technology becomes a religion and in the social media world, that's where you see it right now, statistically the most. Yeah. It's also where you see the most damage that comes from the wrong pursuit of it. The one thing I found with social media is people definitely go to it for distraction, myself included. Um, you know, we, we flee boredom because of what we find when we're bored, which is ourselves. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, a, if, if it's, a, it's also like why so many people will sometimes run from the scriptures, right? The, the, it's full of all this good news about what God is really like and what he's really done in Jesus. But with that is also where God's declaring what we're really like in comparison to what's really good and how we fall, you know, how, how we fall flat in the pursuit of that on a daily basis. So this, it's like the same reason that we, we run from the law in a sense in the scriptures is almost like why we run from boredom. Mm -hmm. And so you'll watch people like get togethers or when they're standing in a line somewhere, right? Like how quick we all just pull out that phone, dude. And you know what I mean? Just get that, get that distraction, man. Like it provides this illusion of autonomy, I guess you could yeah. say. And so our addiction to controlling how I feel back to the framework, my addiction to 
numbing the pain that comes from my inability to control winds up controlling me. Mm. And it's like, oh, dude, this good thing just became a bad thing really fast. And, but, you know, I also see that we're, we go to social media for affirmation. And I think maybe the affirmation is just, is right along there with, right, with distraction. Yeah. Um, it's almost like the, the reason why we're also willing to be slaves to that notification ring of you've been tagged in a picture with a friend or so-and-so commented or liked your thing. The reason why we're like, we're so willing to be enslaved to that, to that ring, man, has to do with love. Because when the light goes off on that phone, mm -hmm. we find this assurance that we crave that I'm worth something. I matter. I'm good enough. I'm valued. Well, Instagram literally will refer to it as performance. They use Very that true. word. And so social media has created a whole new metric for value and performance. In yeah. the conversation of the scriptures, it is what is the law of God? Like what, like, what does he say about himself and us? Like this mirror that's meant to show us our need. It's meant to show us that we need rescue. Um, your Instagram page, your Instagram posts and their performance in a similar way, do a very, do, do the same thing. And so we talk about social media from a brand perspective, or even an individual pers perspective, we ask how individual posts perform. And in an mm. objective world, this is just would be a helpful tool. But if yep. we're honest with ourselves, it's hard not to allow the performance of your posts be directly linked to your performance, your worth, yep. your value. And I know that's like, I know that. I know what it's like to put a lot of work into something only to watch it perform poorly on social media and then to feel the letdown, you know, from that. Mm-hmm to be constantly checking. How's this thing doing? Is it getting engagement? I also know the high of something performing well and getting lots of comments yeah. or about like, Oh man, like so helpful or yeah, man, that's yeah, really that's cool. That. Or yeah, dude, <laughs> right. right. Totally. And so literally like they call it performance. And if you know anything about the Larkast, we have just spent so much time about those who in Jesus name have made the Christian life into a performance. And without mention of Jesus, God, scriptures, Holy Spirit, or baptisms, whether valid or invalid, okay, yep. we can jump on this performance train in life. And social media provides, I think, probably the, one of the most blatant platforms where performance, comparison, um, values, and worth is, um, man, not only is it there, um, they've, they've visualized it and turned it into almost like a game. Well, yeah. And I think, you know, I'll, I'll just, I'll just take a minute here and just point to a few things that I feel like they're at the core of that, you know, that I found and, you know, people can naturally go who are, you know, our audience, feel free to go and research these things on your own, but there's a reason for that, dude. Mm -hmm. Like what you just described was by design. And it has resulted in the richest companies in the history of the world. And I think what we fail to realize when we're talking about this is, is yes, there is all the good and the beauty in it, but there's also the danger as you're bringing up in it. 
and sometimes you, to really understand that you have to pull back and, and dig underneath it and go, oh, like, like, like the people who created this, the people who invented the like button, the pull down right on the screen, the engineers, the like literally the, the operations managers for Pinterest and Facebook and Google and Mozilla and Firefox and Twitter and Uber, like many of them have left that world and have come forward with factual evidence saying, yeah, that stuff that you're talking about, yeah, we created that on purpose. Okay, so when you think about social media, you have to stop thinking of yourself as like, you're the, you're the, you're, you're the customer, you know what I mean? You're not. The customer is advertisers. We're the product being sold. Addicting you to your screen is their number one goal because that's how they make money. Yeah. And I think that's the like, whoa. And of course, you know, there's people who have come forward with, you know, the desire to change, you know, human behaviors and perceptions, you know what I mean, is what this is about. You've got the professor, uh, Shoshana Subba from Harvard Business School, you know, that's like, listen, guys. You know, I mean, this is an expert. Did you in just say form. her name really, really fast? So people won't notice you said it wrong. Like that was a mouthful. So it's a hard name, man. I'm from the south. Know, south. You know that person. Yeah. Um. Anyhow, she's come forward and she said, "Listen, you know, this is this is what businesses have dreamt of. You know, to have a guarantee that if they place an ad, it will be successful. That's the business of big tech." They sell certainty. And so in order to be successful in that business, you have to have great predictions. Great predictions begin with one imperative. You need a lot of data. And so that's the reason for the collecting of it, the using of it, the pouring it in the systems that predict not just, you know, what we're going to do, but even like who we're going to become. And then the various things like the notifications, the dings, the lights, you know, the scrolling down like a slot machine, you know what I mean? The psychology that was all designed in that is the yeah. same as what was, you know, in the creation of a slot machine. You don't know what you're going to get, you know, when it's going to pop up, but it's going to be new. And so you see this like sort of, in their words, there's an army of engineers and psychologists on the other side of the screen. And you don't stand a chance. Yeah. Now that said, we're not dudes who are saying throw out your social media. It's all bad. You know, no, we're not saying that, but I do think it's, it's important to see what it is in the damage, right. That can come from it and who's at the root of it, man. And what you're up against. Well, I think the important thing of what you're saying is that it's not that it's not that these tech companies have created it. They've just discovered this about us. There is something very, very, really spiritual about us. Yeah. And we enter yep. into the temple of Facebook. We enter into the temple of Instagram. And we are beholden to the gods of the numbers, right? Mm -hmm. And the people there. We look for belonging and we look for salvation and we look for rescue and we look for, you know, anything, anything there to say, dude, you're good. You belong here. You're welcome and you're loved. And it's all right. a performance. And it's no different, man, than how most people approach God. They think that God is himself a tech oligarch who's putting all these, all these pathways and um, means into our hands. And it's up to us to, to take them and to 
to work hard and to create a version of ourselves that he can look down on finally and say, yep, good job. There it is. Well done. You did it. You're welcome. I love you. You've arrived. Yeah. And I guess the, the reality, man, is that God is opposite. It's opposite of the narrative, right? That we all oftentimes live our lives operating in good faith to Mm -hmm. God's God. He does not abandon his creation to all of our just ridiculous compulsions, man. Mm -hmm. He's not asking us to, to get control of our lives in the lives of, you know, of others or curate actually a God who, yeah, he's actually a God who gave up control for the sake of an exhausted world. Yeah. You know, this, like this cycle of condemnation to justification, that's probably the easiest biblical term form okay way to describe what we're talking about within all these various would, religions would shorthand for that be like we've referenced in the past like a guilt management system would that yeah. be shorthand for that that condemnation justification cycle yeah like the guilt yeah. management system allows you to to enter into it in a way that you can control it yeah so whatever circle or tribe are in you have these laws okay that declare Hey, if you can't do this, and if you do, right, then you don't matter and you don't belong. Yeah. So there's a condemnation in that. And we feel that. And so then we look for the ways, the systems, the religion, the pain pills, right, mm-hmm. to pop, to, to find justification from the condemnation. Mm-hmm. But it's an endless cycle. Right. It's an endless cycle. And what you see on the cross is, is you see a God who became flesh and buried that cycle. Yeah. And for some reason, instead of trusting in what he's done, we just keep resurrecting the damn thing every day. Yeah. And we just wind up becoming slaves to it. And so the freedom that was a gift from God now becomes a goal that we need to attain. But it's constantly moving because we, we seek for that, that, that freedom in, in various tribes that actually can't deliver it. Mm-hmm. Because the moment you screw up, the moment you don't even think what you should, now you're back to condemnation. You don't find that with Jesus, man. We find a very different, a very different narrative. We talked about the fear of being naked last episode. Yeah. Social media will require you to curate yourself and to self-promote. Yep. If you want to perform well there, you have to curate yourself. We have things called even filters, <laughs> yeah. right? To present this kind of like, this curated better version of yourself. And so you're always posting yourself doing social things. You're out at restaurants, you're with others, you're smiling. And then there's even the self, like, what do you call it? Like self-deprecating stuff where you even curate your sadness and your brokenness, but not all of it. You're not truly naked on there because no one will accept us if we're truly naked. That's not going to get a like, it's going to be off-putting. And so like, really what you're saying is God is in in the temple of Instagram and the temple of Facebook. You can't truly be yourself. You can't truly be your full self because you will not be accepted there at all. Well, authenticity has become like a badge of honor. So if you're authentic on there and real, you know, you'll be celebrated. But if you notice, it's never the full picture of who we really are, what we're struggling with. Number one. And number two it's always followed with something that we're now doing as we admitted our, right. Our broken, frail self. Yeah. 
Oh man, thanks so much for being just being honest about that. And I love what you're right doing. You're such and a hero. So, love how you're handling that. Awesome, man. Well, technology, wonderful tool, horrible savior will never deliver the things that it promises. And uh, yeah, man, I think if you're feeling the weight of um, the endless and unattainable accessibility of technology, the, the weight of earning uh, belonging and finding value and worth in those digital spaces. And if you feel empty in your honest moments, there's a yeah. reason for that um, yeah. because it's all dependent upon you. And we're here to just bring you good news, the good news of what you just dropped, um, yeah. that Jesus knows everything about us. Everything is laid bare before him. He knows who we are through and through, not just the curated selves. And we don't have to promote ourselves to him. We don't have to work. We don't have to earn. We don't have to perform. Um, we simply get to just confess the things that we already feel about our lives the emptiness, the falling short, um, the not measuring up. And for him looking down at us and saying, yeah, I know. I know that about you. That's why I sent yeah. my son. And yeah. just grab onto this declaration, this word from me, that it's finished, that you're loved, that you're welcome, that you're forgiven. The allure of the things that are seen is never going to go away. That's why I think Paul in the New Testament is saying, Trust in the things that are unseen, not the things that are seen. And technology provides that very, very alluring um, yeah. what you, know, you can see. way to see. Yeah. Yep. Good stuff, man. I guess that's why they call it a life of faith. That's right. That's right. In what someone has done and declared on our behalf. That's the yep. journey. So, yep. A lot more to say here, but till next meantime, time. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>